0: verses 23 and 24, a very familiar passage of scripture. Some of you may have memorized this passage. You will notice that all the passages I'm using in this series are very familiar to those who have been in the faith for years, but this is what the Lord says. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Well, our first point tonight is this series. In this series, we are looking at key passages of Scripture from both the Old and New Testaments that get right to the heart and soul of the Christian life. We're looking at three Old Testament passages. This is the last of the three. Then the next three messages will be from the New Testament. So we see this from a broad scriptural basis, in the first message we looked at Genesis chapter five and verses twenty-one through twenty-four, where it says that Enoch walked with God. Here was a man who walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. We learn from Hebrews eleven five that Enoch walked by faith, that he did not see death. And could not be found because God took him and Enoch was commended as having lived a life pleasing to the Lord. And we are fascinated by this man named Enoch who walked with God and then just disappeared because God took him home. In the second message, we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verses 13 and 14, where we are told to fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God is going to bring every deed into judgment, whether good or evil. And I said to you at that time, whenever we see something like that in the Bible, where it says, this is the whole duty of man, we need to sit up and pay attention. What does Solomon mean in Ecclesiastes when he says, this is the whole duty of man? Well, tonight, we are looking at Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. And it says, and the very last sentence, For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And when we see the phrase where God says, This is what I delight in, we again need to sit up and pay attention. I just want you to think about this very carefully with me. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Jeremiah zeroes in on three areas which throughout history have subtly drawn men away from God. That is what's so fascinating about this particular passage of Scripture. These are three things. He hones in on them perfectly. There are three things that throughout the history of mankind have drawn men and women away from God. Three things that men put their trust in rather than putting their trust in God. Three things That if you focus on them for your whole life, in the end will leave you helpless and hopeless at the end of life. And those three things are human knowledge, human strength, and human wealth. Those are the three things that tend to draw people away from God. And cause them to spend eternity in damnation rather than in the glory of God in the presence of Christ so our second point tonight is a closer look at Jeremiah 9:23 and 24 let's just take this one step at a time just work through this passage because it is so full of important truths for us let not the wise man boast in his wisdom as i shared with you back in november We talked about the 14 noetic effects of sin, how sin has affected every part of us, including our minds, that not only are our senses, our emotions fallen, not only is our will fallen, but also our mind is fallen now. We continue to be rational and logical beings. Even the unsaved are rational and logical. But their rationality and logic leads them away from God and not to God. Because our minds are fallen. They are affected by sin. All of our minds are. And yet, yet man has this insatiable desire To figure out life on his own. I can do this. Whatever problems I have, whatever issues I face, I can resolve them if I think about them long enough. And rational thought has been exalted to its highest plateau among mankind, and that is the answer to all of our problems. Think of it. People honestly, I mean honestly and sincerely believe that if we have enough advancements in technology, we will resolve all of our problems. If we just are, gain enough knowledge, if we continue to gain knowledge about ourselves, gain knowledge about the earth, gain knowledge about the galaxies, that ultimately we will resolve all of our problems. If we just make enough advancements in science... If we just continue to pour millions, if not billions of dollars into scientific achievements. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying what we see that as somehow it will answer all of our problems. It will solve all of our conflicts, all of our diseases, all of our illnesses. And so we have taken this intelligence that God has given us and we have made it an end in itself. We do not look to the creator. We look to the created. We think that we can ultimately find the answers. And yet thousands of years later, we continue to wrestle with war and poverty, disease, and constant turmoil and conflict in human relationships. It was evident this desire to solve and figure everything out on our own has been evident ever since the serpent urged Eve to think it through. Did God really say? Did God really say that you cannot eat of any tree in the garden? Did God really say, Eve, that you couldn't do that? And he convinced her that this wasn't logical it didn't make sense this isn't what god would want for you he would want you to enjoy from every tree that is there and eve began to trust and so did adam in their intellects in their god gifted god given intelligence rather than in innocence and purity believing what god had said 1 corinthians chapter 1 Verses 18 through 20. Again, a classic passage of scripture, but so important on this subject. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, now watch this. God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? What an important passage of scripture for us. Having human knowledge is not wrong. There is certainly a degree to which all of us strive for a sense of knowing more. But we do it under the sovereign directive of God Under seeing uh, or under the umbrella of seeing everything from an eternal perspective. Know this, the cross of Christ, the most important event in the history of the universe is foolishness to those who are perishing because of their fallen minds. But for us, it is the power of God. It is the power of salvation. Let not the wise man boast. In his wisdom. Secondly, let not the mighty man boast in his might. There is a fascinating section of script, scripture in Habakkuk chapter 1. In Habakkuk chapter 1, God tells the prophet Habakkuk that the Chaldeans are coming. The Chaldeans, in this particular context, is simply a synonym for the Babylonians. The Babylonians are coming. They were the great world empire at the time that Habakkuk prophesied. And, of course, it was the Babylonians who will take the southern kingdom of Judah into captivity. And he warns Habakkuk, they're coming. This massive army, this great army, they are coming. And in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, this is what it says. Of the Babylonians, of the Chaldeans. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like winds and go on. Guilty men, now watch this phrase so important, whose own strength is their God. I mean, they were a powerful, powerful army. And they would literally, on their horses, sweep across the landscape. And they would take over cities. They would take over towns. They would take over entire nations. They would deride kings. They would scoff at rulers. They laughed at fortified cities. They would sweep past like the wind. What graphic, descriptive language. Guilty men. Evil men. Whose own strength is their God. And here is how we tend to think more horses, more chariots, more weapons. And we can say to anyone, submit or we will crush you. It was true of the Babylonians. It was true of the Assyrians. It was true of the Medes and the Persians. It was ultimately true of the Romans. Let's just amass horses and weapons and we can conquer anyone. And it is the same Today, we think if we simply have big enough armies and enough technology, then we are our own gods and we can conquer anything that we face. There is an amazing verse in the Old Testament. It's not on the screen tonight, but it's one of those that you come across in the Old Testament as you're reading through it, and it just grips you. It is about David. A man after God's own heart. And we think about his sin with Bathsheba. But there was also another sin that David committed. In 1st Chronicles 21.1 it says this. Satan rose up against Israel. And incited David to take a census of Israel. Satan. Satan rose up against Israel. And he enticed David. To take a census of Israel. So David calls the commander of his army, Joab, and he says, I want you to count how many fighting men we have in all of Israel. David wanted to know, how strong are we? How many fighting men do we have? And do you know what Joab told him? The commander of his own army. He said, David, this is repulsive in the sight of God. Please do not do this. This is what Joab told him. He said, may God multiply your army a hundredfold. May he give you a hundred times more. But please, David, please do not take a census. Do not count all of your fighting men. But David overruled Joab and he did it anyway. And the Lord came to David and said, you have done a foolish thing. And do you know what happened? Because of what David did, God brought a pestilence against Israel and 70,000 Israelites died because of David's foolishness. Do you know what David's foolishness was? David was trusting in his own strength. How many fighting men do I have? Count them all. Let me know how strong we are. And God was in essence saying, David, I want your trust to be in me. I don't care how big your army is. I don't care how small your army is. I want your trust in me. And what applies to a nation, to a kingdom can apply to an individual. We begin to think my health will sustain itself forever or until I'm very old. I can do whatever I want to do, accomplish whatever I want to accomplish. And many of you tonight Many of you here tonight know how unpredictable, how fragile our own health is. We do. We never know when something's going to come into our life that will break us down, that will cause us to be ill, that will cause us to be injured, where God will remind us How mortal we are, how weak we are, how fragile we are, and how needy we are. We must never forget that we are mere mortals. If God wanted to snuff out our life tonight, he could do it. Our lives are completely in the hands of God. When we forget these things, we forget God. Let not the mighty man boast. In his might. In the NIV. In the New International Version. It says. Let not the strong man. Let not the strong man. Boast in his strength. And if you are younger here tonight. You may think that your strength. Your athleticism is invincible. Don't think that way. Don't think that way. Life can change very rapidly. The third thing. That it says. Is let not the rich man. Boast in In his riches. This is a big one. Let not the rich man ever think that his riches are his security and his hope. We think of the classic story in the New Testament. The account of the rich young ruler. He Comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commandments. And Jesus' name in some of the commandments and the rich young ruler says, all of these I have kept since my youth. And Jesus says to him, one thing you still lack. Go, sell everything you have. Give to the poor. And follow me. And you will have treasures in heaven. Jesus was saying to this young man, it's called the rich young ruler. He was saying to him, I know where your trust is. Your trust is in your riches. And if you're really going to follow me, if you're going to trust in me, go sell everything you have. And give to the poor. Come follow me. Then you'll have true riches in heaven. And do you remember what it says? It says he walked away sad. And I like the way the ESV has it. The ESV says because he was extremely wealthy. He walks away from eternal life. Eternal life is standing right before him in the person of Jesus Christ. And he walks away from it all. Sad. Because he was extremely wealthy. And Jesus turns to his disciples and said, it is hard. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Riches have the illusion of power, the illusion of security, the illusion of peace. But we know not only in the States, but worldwide how fickle and how fragile our investments can be. We'll have to go back to a year like 2008, Where so many people lost so much of their investments just to realize. As it says in Proverbs, sometimes our riches are like a bird that flies away and it's gone. Once we seem to have it and then it is no more. I think of that passage. Many of you may be familiar with Proverbs 30 verses 7 through 9. It says, two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. But give me only my daily bread. Then it says this. Otherwise I may have too much. And disown you and say. Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal. And so dishonor the name of my God. It is the first part of verse 9. That I really want you to focus on. Otherwise. I may have too much money. And disown you and say, Who is the Lord? He says, The writer says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Because here's what I fear about myself I may have too much money and disown you and say in my heart, Who is the Lord? I've got a huge bank account, I've got all these investments. I've got a big home. I've got a lot of land. Who's the Lord? Why do I need the Lord? Why do I need to come to church? And let me tell you, folks, there are millions of people in that category today. I've got everything I need. I have planned well for my retirement. Who needs the Lord? Oh, let not the rich man boast in his riches. So let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. Now here's what you can boast in. Okay? Don't boast in your intellect. Don't boast in your strength or your might. Don't boast in your wealth. But here's what you can boast in. That he understands and knows me. Here's what you can boast in, that you understand and know God. Just hold on to that for a few minutes. That's really the key phrase in the whole passage. Let him boast in this, that he knows God, that he understands and knows God, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Did you know that? No matter what you see in our culture, no matter what you see in every country around the world, God is always on the move. God is always, always everywhere in every nation and every people group practicing steadfast love, justice, and righteousness all over the earth. When people cry out to the Lord. When people come to know him as Lord and Savior. They find that he is the God of love. The God of justice. And the God of righteousness. And they can trust him. And no matter what things may appear. Or how things may appear to our human eyes. God is always sovereign. He is always in control. But then there's that phrase. That ought to strike us to the very heart. Of our core. To the very core of our being. For in these I delight. Declares the Lord. This is what I delight in. You want to know what God delights in? Do you want to know what pleases him? What makes him happy? It's when you understand and know him. That he is the Lord who practices steadfast love. Justice and righteousness. Now let's go back to that phrase. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. The word know here is not just an intellectual knowledge. It isn't just, I know about God. Yes, I've read the Bible, so I know about him. No. In fact, the word know here is the same Hebrew word that is used in the Old Testament. To speak of sexual relations between a man and a woman. It speaks of the most intimate kind of knowledge. King James, it will say, and Adam knew Eve. It will talk about sexual relations with that word know. That's what it means here. Let boast about this, that you have an intimate, personal relationship with God and you long to know him. Let me say to all of us tonight, there is no higher calling in life for any man or woman, no matter what your occupation, than the pursuit of knowing God and cultivating an intimate daily relationship with him. No higher calling. There is no greater pursuit that exists in all of humanity than to know God, to know him. As I shared a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at Enoch, it says that Moses talked with God as a man talks with his friend. You know who wants that? God does. He wants that kind of friendship from you. Wisdom is not wrong. Might is not wrong. Wealth is not wrong as long as we see them as gifts from God, as long as we see them as his grace gifts, and we are thankful to him and acknowledge him. But he doesn't want them to become the consuming focus of our lives. Rather, he wants us to take that energy and passion that the secular world puts into pursuing these things. He wants us to take that energy and passion and to pour it into the knowledge of him. To pour it into your relationship with him. Do you know what God wants? He wants you. That's what God wants. He wants you. Doesn't just want your money. Doesn't just want your talents. Doesn't just want your service. Yes, he wants those things. But above all those things, first and foremost, God wants you. I read one time about an article about successful small businesses. And they had done a study, a university had done a study on successful small businesses. And not all of them, but the vast majority of all successful small businesses had one common trait. They were run by a monomaniac. I love that word. They were monomaniacs. In other words, it was a man or a woman who ran a small business and they became so convinced of their product or so convinced of their delivery system that they just poured everything they had into that one thing, into that small business, and that's what made them successful. Is they wanted to do that one thing and they wanted to do it well. They wanted to do that one thing the very best that they possibly could. And that was the trait that ran through most successful small businesses. In 1987, R.C. Sproul wrote a book. He wrote many books, but he wrote a book whose title has stayed with me all those years. This was the title of his book, One Holy Passion, The Consuming Thirst to Know God. It's the name of the book. You can still get it. It's available on Amazon. But I love that title, One Holy Passion, the Consuming Thirst to Know God. I don't know about you, but I want to be a monomaniac who pursues God. So many things distract me from that. But that's what I want. And I pray that's what you will want. One holy passion. The consuming thirst to know God. What if. What if. At the end of your life. They decide to write a book about you. So they interview your family. They interview your friends. They interview your co-workers. And after interviewing all of these people they decide to give your life the same title as that book. Wouldn't that be wonderful? After talking to people that know him, that know her, I would title his life, One Holy Passion, The Consuming Thirst to Know God. My prayer in this series is that you will see That although we're looking at six passages of scripture. They all are saying the same thing. Enoch walked with God. Do you know why Enoch walked with God? Because he had one holy passion. A consuming thirst to know God. Enoch understood. Hundreds of years before Jeremiah prophesied. That the most important thing to boast in. Is that he understands and knows God. God Enoch walked with God Solomon comes to the end of Ecclesiastes after looking at all of the frustration and fragmentation in life under the sun and seeing it from God's perspective he decides and concludes fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man Oh, to know God, to be enthralled with his beauty, his majesty, his wonder, to fear him, to be overwhelmed and enthralled with God, and to keep all of his commandments because only God knows what is best for us. That's the whole duty of man. And here's what God delights in. When you know and understand him. Three sections of scripture all saying the same thing thing. And as I've said the last two weeks, it is so easy to get caught up in the peripherals of the Christian life, to get caught up in hair-splitting theological issues or keeping traditions of certain churches. And we miss, we miss the heart of the faith. We miss that innocent childlike purity Of what we knew when we first came to know Christ as Savior. Oh may God bring us back to the very heart of our faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us. Not to boast in our wisdom. Not to boast in our might. Not to boast in our riches. But to boast in this. That we long understand and know you may you be the consuming delight and joy of each of our lives for we pray this in jesus name amen